This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 159 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Monty Roberts University. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have some legends in the Western reigning world. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. How are you, Jen? Greetings, Debbie. <laughs> it's summertime in Florida. How about California? Oh, totally broken out there, huh? No, not quite. I mean, we're kind of in that. We have what we call May Gray and June Gloom a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> not quite not quite hot and, and heavy yet, but you are? You are. You're dripping yeah, well, already. We're pretty huh? much into summer. You're in Flags Up Farm is in California, mm-hmm. uh, but it is not in Southern California, is it? Not deeply. No, it, we, I, we would call it Central. Central, because every time we talk about the weather there, all I can think of is the line in the song that it never rains in Southern California. <laughs> yeah. And if you can, if you can, if you know what song that comes from, you're dating yourself. So that's true, and I know it well. Yes, I know the whole thing by heart. Um, so is. Yeah. Spring in in yeah. normal years. I know you. I know you guys have been in a, a drought for I think a decade now. Yeah, do it's true. does does Central California typically have a spring rainy season? No, we no. we'll get a little rain in the winter time, and you know, like February or something. But right now, no, we don't we don't have those problems of really sloshy arenas and and all that. When it rains, it rains pretty good, and it's not like a Seattle rain that's like a, you know a mist mm-hmm. all the time. But when it rains, it really comes down. You have to watch for flooding. Of course, you do because it yeah. hadn't rained for ten years. Yeah. <laughs> but it it it's actually not too bad. We our soils are pretty good, so that we'll drain off pretty quickly and all that too. And Wish for it again to come back. Come back. (laughs) Okay, we want it back again. Come back. We have a covered arena too, which is really nice. It's a giant, beautiful covered arena. It's so nice. People come from miles around to go, can I use your arena? There you go. Speaking of that, Hmm. Monty spends so much time traveling around the world doing demonstrations. Does the training of horses continue by way of trainers who are on staff at Flag is Up Farm when he's on the road? Or are there independent trainers that that use the facility? How's that work? Well, we have a couple of trainers there, yes, that um, train their own horses and have their own barns there too. And, you know, we're very particular, as you can imagine, and they're wonderful. Uh, But we also do have a rhythm to the training too. Uh, we're, We're really known on Flag is Up Farms for the training of racehorses, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have this rhythm of part of the year they're at the racetrack and part of the year they're there starting. So dad's there when he has to be, you know, for the, for the starting or for the graduation of the certified instructors, you know, when he does the advanced courses and things like that. But then he gets back on the road and starts horses or fixes horses or helps horses all over when he's traveling. So there is, there's kind of a been a rhythm for the last 30 years of doing all that but flag's always active yeah yeah but it, it does go through its seasons of a mm-hmm. bunch of thoroughbreds coming in and then a bunch of thoroughbreds going out and we have our riders and our trainers and yeah mm-hmm. and since flag is up farms is open to the public people can stop by yeah. and visit if yeah. they were to stop by on a typical early summer day to get a tour what, what what might they expect to see as far as horses and people doing things with horses 
I hope they're early risers because we do we do get those horses out pretty early, seven, eight o'clock, and really the farm opens about nine o'clock. Um, ah. The gates you could just push the button and, and come in. It's a self guided tour, and we do have different areas on the farm that people can kind of be- find and and become acquainted with. You can explore. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. I mean, sometimes people even bring their picnics. <laughs> And they sit in the grass. We have a little park area. And it really is a cool place to kick. And and, and people bring their kids, you know, school-age kids through and things like that, too. We don't do the public tour-ish kind of thing, you know, because we're a working farm. But we've never locked the gates. We've had visitors welcome there since 1966. And we're not about to change. So it's a lot of fun to come. People come from all over the world. They really do what I call pilgrimage there, you know, to see uh, the the iconic round pin where a lot of... It's back when people thought round well, pinning if, you're, if you have Monty Roberts University, you've seen that round pen. <laughs> exactly. It, it is that round pen. And we have several on the farm, too. We have uh, another structure that's like that, slightly smaller. Um, and then we have lots of portables. And uh, we've got the Gentling facility. That, but a lot of people don't find the Gentling facility. If you're listening to this, ask where the Gentling facility is. Because it's in the back. It's very quiet. And it's where we start the, the Mustangs and the Gentlers. Um, they don't, you know, when they first come from a holding pen, or a rescue, they don't look all that great. And so we got to thinking, you know, people are going to come on the farm, the first horse they see. Out of <laughs> might context, be, yes. Out of context, yes. it might look a little funny. So we've got them in, in the um, areas in the back where it's quieter too. They're not so disrupted. Yeah, uh, yeah back they're stressed there. already. The last thing they need is a, mm-hmm. is a lot of traffic going by and, you know. Yeah. But they, they look awesome. <laughs> By the time they go home, you know, to their to the rescue place or they're adopted out, they look amazing. Those those Mustangs are just incredible anyway. You know, they're such survivors and they're so well built and all that stuff too. They have to be to survive. So um it, it is a beautiful thing to see the before and after too. I I, I do wish people get to see that, you know. Well, there we go. Well, we will all be traveling again soon. Yeah, And if you're not sure why I made that reference, because you're listening to this show in 2023, just Google 2020 travel restrictions and you'll know why. (laughs) Um, Speaking of longevity and speaking Uh, of legends, we've got a couple on the show today. Dear friends, dear friends, each one of them, and Ron Rawls, Chris Cox, and and get time with dad. Um, so these three uh, on separate phone calls uh, had some great conversations, and they wanted to check in with each other while people were off the road right now, and they wanted to um, see about you know how how is it that these guys have been around for so long in an industry that's changed a lot over the years um, but these guys are champions they're amazing talent with a horse and i think it, that it, they are all three of them are great students of the horse and i think what i learned in these conversations is that they bolster each other the com- the competition and the the knowledge that they're out there creating new ways to do things better and getting better with their horses. And then they liked comparing notes. Trainers of 50 years ago didn't like comparing notes. These guys really do. They really like to know that horses are on the right right track, you know, that horsemanship is going in a good direction. And that's what I love about these guys. They're really good. Well, there we go. And we're going to get right to our first guest after we hear from Equus Online University. 
couple years ago, I don't know how long ago it was now, mm-hmm. but uh, we we uh, had you on a, a number of our shows talking yeah. about the Equus Online University, which had just yeah. come out. It has developed. It's become better with the search engine in it, and it's become better with the forum because we have such an amazing forum. You know, a lot of those forums, people get on there and go, oh, no, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. Yeah, usually it's, it ends up with the whiners on forums. <laughs> exactly. Right. And it's not. What I see is a mentoring. Actually, it's it's almost the polar opposite because um, the, we, we do give these rosettes out for people who've completed so many lessons. And uh, once the rosettes started, now we have, uh, we're up to five rosettes uh, for somebody who's watched every lesson. And you, you have those rosettes by your forum uh, personality in your profile. And uh, so you can really see who's watched all these things. So it gives them credibility when they come in and say, hey, if you watch this lesson. So people come on there and they're using it as a... Um, is a training tool, frankly, you know, and they get on there. And, and I'm not bragging on, on the university as the greatest training tool, which I think it is, but it's also a great place for people to be mentored as they begin their journey with horses. Um, it really, it really is cool. So when they watch the lessons and they can watch them over and over again as many times as they want, they get the lesson notes, they get audio, they get visual, and then they've got the forum to kick around too. Plus we've got now since 2004, every week, Without fail, we put up a Q&A from Monty himself. He chose the question, he answered it, and we put it in a database. And that's actually free for everybody to search and get to. It's it's open on our um, Equus Online University. In other words, it's a non-subscriber open source forum too. Uh, not forum, but a Q&A base. Uh, the forum is not. You're, you're behind a subscriber wall for the forum just so we know who's talking. But it is... Um, it is it's been an incredible experience actually to put these together with Stefan Peters and Will Simpson. You know who I'm talking about. These, these guys have won everything yep. in their worlds and, uh, Charlotte Bredals and, and if I get started, Rich, Richard Winters and so many guest lecturers that are on there too. So some people ask, why is it called university? Well, that's what a university is. It's, uh, it's not just one opinion. It's not just one deliverer, you know, and, and I think that's the difference between the, uh, everybody is putting out a YouTube these days and they're free so people ask us sometimes why do you charge like up to ten dollars a month and well it's it's expensive to make the university everybody knows quality is is uh not cheap but it's really our mission statement and i know that sounds a bit trite but it's true (laughs) when you when you've worked at it for five years just to get all that quantified and on there they're just almost no subjects we haven't covered at this point but uh, but dad and I were looking at the list and he goes, Hey, I'm going to be making videos until well into my nineties. And I went, yes, so, <laughs> promise and sign here. <laughs> so, so we do have, we do have a lot of subjects left to go and a lot of people we want to still get on there. What do you think of it, Glenn? Well, I think that one of the things about training horses as it, same as training anything really, no. uh, is that you're, you're going through stages and you're always coming up to a new, problem to solve uh-huh. or a new issue to deal with. And what I like about the university now that you have so much content on there mm-hmm. is that whatever issue you're running into, there's going to be something on there to help you. So not many people are going to go on there and watch all, you know, all the videos mm-hmm. uh, because there's just so many of them. What you're going to, what you're going to want to do is go on there and you're going to want to watch the videos that relate to the situation you're in currently with right. that particular horse. 
Um, and, and that's what I like about it is it has, it has so much content now that whatever you're dealing with, you're probably going to find an answer somewhere, somehow. And if not, you can go to the forum. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I I really like about it is wherever you're at now is where you can find that situation. Plus, you know, YouTube is so full of crap now. And I'm not saying that every video on there is crap, but there are, we all know what we're talking about. Uh, there are some that are. And, you know, one of the things that I really like about this is, you know, you can trust it. Uh, you know that w- what you're seeing is something you can trust. I've tried doing repairs on uh, appliances and things off of YouTube videos. <laughs> and, and you know, some of them are good, some are not so good. And some, one of the things I couldn't get back together again. So, oh. was, you know, was, you know that, <laughs> at least you didn't hurt yourself. That's right. Good. <laughs> so that's what I really like about it. And for that, yes, it costs a few, it costs a few pennies to do it, but it's worth it. Uh, nice. You know, it's worth it to do it right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And it is tried and true. Everything on there is so tried and true. If not, you know, we'd be, they'd be throwing tomatoes at us in the forum. <laughs> but it really does work. And, and we, we are so happy that, uh, so many people have been, um, interested enough at least to go there, you know, and I should plug in the, the website right now is, um, www.montyrobertsuniversity.com, um, because people can get a free day pass on there and go see what we're talking about and, uh, and check out that search engine too. You can put in the weird little keywords and you, you find all kinds of crazy stuff. It really is cool. And it breaks it down by, um, not just the lessons first, then it goes into the Q and A database and then it goes into the forum. So you can actually pick and choose where you, um, pick up those keywords from too. So, um, it, it's great. And then you also have little challenge questions, which I love the little tests at the end. You know, there's always four questions at the end of your lesson to make sure that, you know, you were, you were watching. And, um, if, if you get it wrong, it just says, want to try again? <laughs> and so you, by process of elimination, you get it right. And then it, it moves you on. And that's how you get your rosettes that you've accomplished that, um, that lesson and that you get to move on. But I, you know what, what you just said is so important because when we were setting this, idea up. Um, nothing really existed like it. We didn't want it to be first you have to do one and then you have to do number two and then you have to do number three. And like it was some sort of programmed process. Yeah, because that, that never go- works. It doesn't. It, <laughs> no. you know, because we wanted people who were amazing trainers to jump in there and go, this is what I, you know, what does Monty say about this? Or what does this trainer say about that? Uh, and they could be at a world-class level, or it could be a very beginner saying, where do I start first? And you can you just go down the lessons if you want. But, you know, it's like you said, if all of a sudden you have a horse that won't load and you didn't have one last week that didn't load, you know, you go to the loading lessons right. and it's exactly. a whole series on it. <laughs> And it's MontyRobertsUniversity.com. That's it. Yeah. Thanks for asking. A back-to-back winner of the World's Greatest Horseman Award in 2003 and 2004, Ron Rawls won the $100,000 World's Richest Stock Horse Championship just two years later. In 2010, he took home the AQHA Junior Working Horse Reserve World Champion, the National Rain Cow Horse Association World Champion Hackamore, and the NRCHA Stallion Stakes Championship trophies. He was inducted into the NRCHA Hall of Fame and is close to achieving the $1 million in a career earnings mark. Today, Ron is still training and showing and loving every minute of it. He and his wife, Patty Rawls, make their home at the training facility in Gainesville, Texas. Well, I just want to say welcome. I want to say welcome to Ron Rawls and Monty Roberts, old dear friends. And there's a story between between you two, and it's a good one. 
I, I love your story. And maybe we could start off by just letting the listeners in a little bit about how you two got to know each other and how you both have developed um, along the same parallel lines into uh, excellence in the horse industry and how much of an influence you are. And you can brag on each other. <laughs> and then, and I'd like to hear a little bit about that just to give us a little background and um, then let you two catch up. So we'll start we'll start with Ron and um what's your what's your earliest memory of seeing these cowboys that you two meeting? Do you remember Ron? Yeah, I I grew up on a cow ranch over there and I was over there with my dad and Anyway, long and short of it, I hadn't been off the ranch in a long time, and Van was, my brother was working for, for Monty and Pat, uh, the, the veterinarian, mm-hmm. and I scraped together a little money, gas money, I thought I'd go spend the weekend, see Van, but I hadn't seen him in a long time, and because of that, I uh, met Monty and Pat. You just wouldn't meet... Uh, a nicer guy. Uh, I can say this with him on there because that's the way he came across. You know, he's honest. And, and, uh, what I didn't know about him in those first days was how dedicated he was, how hard he would work. And I bought him a bunch of horses and we, we got started there and it was, it was pretty rudimentary in the, in the early days. Um, and off we went up to Reno to the snaffle bit futurity. And I'm sure his eyes were out on his cheeks and, and wondering what the heck all this is about with these people that show horses and what they do. And, um, so we went through, oh, I don't know, three or four years here. And actually, I think Ron will remember it that. I just couldn't get them any cattle here. Um, we were in a drought and, uh, the cattle business around the Santa Barbara area is pretty limited. And, uh, along come these people from, uh, the cattle sales yard up in Templeton, California. And, uh, they talked to Ron about going up there and putting an arena in and, and, uh, they had a lot of cattle coming through for these sales that they put on and the cattle were coming from Bakersfield and all up through the San Joaquin Valley and clear up to Salinas on the coast, I guess. And so he had a lot of cattle there and, uh, Ron got married to a lady that was working in my breeding barn and that she had a tiny little son, uh, Philip, and he, he, he grew up on this place. And Ron, how many years were you here with me? About six or eight? Uh, six or seven. Six or seven years he was here with me. And I watched an uplift of talent on a horse's back that is historical. It really is historical. Because he would tell you himself that when he won the world's greatest, was it twice run or? It, yes, or, it was twice. Twice. Yeah. Twice in, when, twice in a row. When, when, a row. when, if you, if you could take a, a, a video of him on those first days here and a video of him winning the world's greatest, 
you would swear that that guy that won world's greatest was a tough hand when he was eight years old. And I got him when he was 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Now I think that's right. Is it not Ron? Yes. Yeah. It's 28. I was expecting to turn 29. Well, there you are. So clear through the 28th year, I got to knock another one off. Um, you know, and who can start at 29 years of age to do something that you couldn't score a two out of 10 for in the first year and wind up scoring a 10 out of 10 twice in the world's greatest. It, it is a story that should be told over and over again, because these, these people, 18, 19, 20 say, Oh, you know, I, I don't reckon I can do it. So I'm just going to give it up and go drive a truck or something like that, you know? And, um, Ron could have, could have given up easy. Uh, I know van was helpful and we, we all together, we had about five brothers that worked for us from one time or another. Um, Ron can tell us, uh, was it four or five brothers that worked for Uh, us here, Ron? Van and me and Steve and Alan. Four, four of you, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, just people of the greatest quality in their core that you could ever imagine. And, uh, now here sits Ron and Philip and Zane Davis, who were all with me for a period of time. And if you take the horse show purses only horse show purses, not what they got paid to train horses or whatever. If you take the total horse show purses, I think is about three and a half million dollars in, in horse show purses that the three of them have collected all all together. Um, you just take a look at me and ask me what I'm the most proud of in, in my career. I won 11 world championships and producing people like Ron, Philip and Zane. And then I could go on into the horse racing thing and some show jumpers and stuff like that. I mean, the gratification that I feel for that kind of production is far greater than winning any world championship. Um, I'm just so proud of them. I can't believe it. Ron won't say much. <laughs> well, I, 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 I haven't changed a whole lot. My dad said you'll learn more if you just listen. That's, That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So your dad was a, a horseman too, Ron. You grew up with cattle. Was he, horseback he, as yeah, well he, my dad used to say of course he was just pulling our leg but he was about half serious he'd say the only reason we're having these cows around is so we have something to work the horses on <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and and that, yeah so you were a hand from the early days but you've gone into even coaching now too i know you've coached some top barrel racers and other things too how does it feel to be on both ends of that now not only being the student but now now the coach and mentor. I like it. Um, the, I mean, I've given lessons 
even when I was there at Monty's, I had lessons to give. Once Monty got me lined out, I had lessons to give there. But I, so I've always done that. But the the barrel racing deal at there, um, I do some private lessons here at my place. But I do a lot of clinics on the road, mm-hmm. and I like it. It's um, probably probably ten or fifteen years ago, it probably wouldn't have flown too good because I don't think they were ready. But they're most all of them are figuring out that they that there's got to be better techniques and and they're and they're trying hard to get better, you know, through horsemanship. And so that makes my job easier because they're wanting it now. You know, ten mm-hmm. fifteen years ago, I don't think they'd have been interested. Mm-hmm. And I like that you said horsemanship too. What are some of the parallels between reining and barrel racing, if any? I don't know if there's any actual parallels uh, in the training. It's like anything. I don't. I don't think it matters what horse industry you're in. Mm. The broker your horses are. The the parts are broke right. You can move parts. You can you can you can manipulate a horse's body easily, and they like it. The, the, the broker they are, whatever event that that horse is, whatever event that his is his, they will be better at it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it does. Sure. Do you think you coach your your students to be more of a partnership with their horses? Uh, what what draws the best out of their horses when you see a good student? Well, I just try to. I mean. I just introduce them to a, a different technique and uh, basically, I mean, if I was going to sum it up real easily, I think I try to make them understand and learn the mechanics of a horse. Mm-hmm. Horses are all made the same. Some are better, God given better athletes than others, mm-hmm. uh, but they all have the same parts. And right. um, if you, if, if, so I just try to introduce them to the, mechanics of a horse why a horse's shoulder has to be where it has to be um what you know what makes a horse keep all four corners under him mm-hmm. uh is basically straight lines which sometimes they have trouble grasping because we're going around barrels and so but um it's just mechanic is what i try mm-hmm. to teach them and, you um, know and along with that some horsemanship on how to do it Right, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, you know, that's good. You know, Ron, um, I never, I don't think I ever said this while you were with me. I think it came to me one day um, after you were already winning and going down the road and Philip was winning too. But I don't know, somebody, Tommy Shelley, and somebody said something to me about a good trainer and a great trainer and so forth. And, uh, what do we do with these horses? And it, it dawned on me in the middle of the night that a good trainer can make a horse do almost anything he wants him to, but a great trainer can cause the horse to want to do it. And you're so right about learning every movement of the horse and how do you create movement? And you're also right about every horse is basically the same one to the other and particularly in their brain they're the same 
It's just a matter of how we handle it and and what their body will allow them to do. Like the quarter horse will run short and the thoroughbred will run long and the show jumper, he'll get up in the air. But basically, it's all the same. And if a horse wants to, you're going to get a higher score out of him than if he's doing it because he's afraid not to. And you know, Ron, that you went down the road with people that just used a big old whip and and uh, drove them into doing whatever they wanted, and they could do it or get hurt. And it just it just wasn't as good as when you caused the horse to want to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. They, uh, I, I tell people that, like people that have worked for me. Uh, when I think I've done my job right, uh, that horse never, ever resents being trained on, even up to the age, even when they're finished horses, they don't mm-hmm. resent being trained on. That's when I know that to me, that's when the job has been done right. Yeah. Yeah. When you can show yeah. them something when they're 10 years old, something that you haven't showed them and they accept it and get better from it and they're not resentful, that's when I think that the training has been done right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and so many people miss that along the line. And in, if you look back at generations before you, uh, force was the main thing. And if you got a horse that was scared enough, you could make him do something. But those same horses wouldn't wouldn't make it today by any stretch of the imagination. And world champions that were world champions in my day would be fifth, sixth, and tenth today uh, because improvements have been made in every way. Yeah, and I think the livestock is better too. I mean, I think they're better athletes, and 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 techniques have changed, and and all of it just plays together to make a better horse, you know? Yeah. So what are you guys doing now? Um, now that I know that uh, clinics are probably a little sequestered right now, Ron, and, uh, I know dad's wings have been clipped a little bit from, from traveling overseas too. So what do you guys do with your horses right now? And what, what do you tell people to do with their horses right now while they're, they've got this quiet time? Well, I, I'm not telling anybody to do anything right now because, we, like I said, we shut, we we closed the barn down, even to our non-pros that come. <clears throat> but other than I'm not going down the road to horse shows or clinics, it nothing has really changed for me. I'm just staying home, riding my horses all day. You've got so, horses to work, yeah, yeah. I got horses to work. I, I mean, I got my place that I work out of, and so really, it's not a big change for me, other than. I'm just home more than I, than I was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And Monty. Well, for me, I'm using this time to get to know my horses better and study their behavior. And, and I know it sounds silly and people will say he's nuts, but studying my deer, the flightiest animal on earth, um, we all deal, if we deal with horses, we deal with flight animals. They've never stalked, killed, or devoured another species, so they're flight animals. And the flightiest animal on earth is the deer. And if you study the behavior patterns of a deer, 
if you make a mistake, they charge you a big price for it because they are so sensitive and so wild. And if you take that to your horses and just ratchet it back so that you can go ahead and do your thing because you don't saddle a deer and ride him off. But, but what they do and how they respond to you is so similar except 10 times more sensitive that I, I just keep studying. And, and every day they teach me something. And the horses do too. You should see these deer. I got a... There's a uh, Latin statement called positive stigmotaxis. It means that horses are into pressure, not away from pressure. If they feel pain, they'll go into it, not away from it. They hit their hip on the narrow door, they'll hit it harder the next time. And you put your thumb in their ribs and they'll come toward you and, and kick you. So you have to train them to go off your leg. And positive stigmotaxis is the name of that and... 2,000 years ago, Xenophon wrote about it. But the deer are so thigmotaxic or into pressure that you try to drive deer and see what you get. They will push back at No matter where you want to drive them, they will push back at you and try to go around you and go the other way. And horses are the same way. It's just that they'll go further and then circle around. But they don't just go away from you. They circle back and put the pressure on you and try to lean into you in, in some way or another. And that's why spurring the horse in the right shoulder to get him to turn left will generally get you a horse with the spine spent, bent in the wrong direction because his shoulder comes into your spur and then he'll just leap away from it. It's, it's a funny thing and it's hard to describe on the telephone, but... But Ron was very quick to just take a breath and listen to his horses. And wow, what a learning curve he went through. Um, got in a different saddle, got a, a saddle where he could ride a horse through the stops and the spins of the working cow horse. And, uh, and let the horse do it and encourage him giving rewards, which is rest generally when he does it right and put him to work when he does it wrong and they'll soon learn to do it right. It's a little bit like people. I remember Van telling me that, that, uh, he wanted to go, his father wanted him to go to vet school, wanted him to go to college and he didn't want to go to college. Mm. So his dad, uh, put him digging cattle guards on a ranch he had in, in a hot part of California. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah. And he, he, he dug out about four or five of these cattle guards and decided college was a better way to go and <laughs> turned out being one of the best vets in, in the world. Well, he's amazing. Yeah. You put your horse to work when he's wrong, makes mistakes and you ease up on him when you, when he gets it right and he'll look to get it right. And it doesn't mean violence. It doesn't mean you have to bash on them. Um, it, it's unbelievable what Ron has done with his career. Well, well it's great to hear it. your voice again, Ron. Uh, and likewise, if you ever get out this way, I surely hope you look me up. Well, I will. I'll make you buy me a big old steak or something. 
<laughs> I'll be happy to. <laughs> I'll be happy to. Okay. Well, say thank you to Patty for letting us borrow you for a little bit, too. Yeah, I will. And, Molly, I want to yep. thank you and Pat for all you guys have done for me. Well, you already have, Ron, and I have your poster on the door in my saloon in my house and your note at the bottom of it, and it's a treasure to me. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to Cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Influenced in his early years by both English and Western traditions, Chris Cox has implemented a style and technique that can be applied universally between both horse worlds. A common sense, straightforward approach allows the average horseman, as well as the advanced rider, insight into the horse's behavior and leads them towards the ultimate goal, a versatile and useful partnership between horse and human. Chris has been conducting clinics and demonstrations for over 18 years and has been successfully training and a major competitor in the cutting horse world, too. Chris travels worldwide spreading his message, hoping horsemen and women will come to understand and appreciate the horses in their lives. Well, welcome, Chris Cox and Bonnie Roberts. I'm so glad to have you both on the line. Chris, are you down in Texas right now? I am. Yes, ma'am. We're uh... We're kind of on lockdown down here. We're in one spot. It's the longest I've probably been home in one mm-hmm. time. I can't remember, but uh, a lot of horse road and and uh, spent a lot of time with my family. And we're certainly in unusual times. I've never seen this before in my lifetime. But uh, you know, a lot of good can come come of it, and taking care of a lot of business on the side. And so, yeah, we'll see where it goes. You had a lot of horses, I I assume. Then you travel so much. How did you have enough horses at home to to work with? Are you are you starting some new ones? Well, you know, I always dab and snapple mm-hmm. bit and roping and cutting and and uh, you know I've always got some in work. Uh, just kind of helps helps me mentally and mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah. So, so you had some. Know, we, your, yeah, we, we try we out. try to do we try to juggle it. You know. We, the time you spend on their back has to be very precise and effective, and you may not get to ride them for another week. So, but you know, I don't travel as much as I used to, even though I do. This is a, probably the busiest time of the year right now. We've had four or five events canceled here recently. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's been nice. It's been nice to to ride every day and be consistent about it. Ride with my family and and. Um, 
you know, just be on the ranch. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some good things that will come out of it. I, we've lost a lot of money and, uh, so was everybody else, but yeah, uh, what, what, what the horse business is considered, it's not considered a necessity, you know, it's considered a, a luxury. So, yeah. um, you know, when we're do, doing clinics and demonstrations, that's not a, that's not a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you know, no. people that are health and health and food is the priority. So, yeah, but, uh, so anyway, but you know, it, it uh, everybody, the world's at a standstill right now and it's kind of like a reset button. You look back at your tracks and see how, how crooked you walked and look back at your <laughs> life and see how you, how you can go forward. So, um, but you know, Chris, certainly you're, knows everybody's in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, you're a South Sea Islander, aren't you? I was, uh, my dad went over and bought an island top of, top of Australia, uh, Prince of Wales Island. So just above yeah. their Australian and Thursday Island. Uh, uh-huh. We stayed there and run cattle on it for, for a few years, but we weren't old enough to um, go to regularly ship us off to boarding school. And, uh, okay. And then she sold the island. So. And, and, and how many years now have you done your demos and, uh, and clinics and things? Uh, 31 years. 31 years. My word. I didn't realize you'd, uh, how many horses you figure you, you worked with in those, um, in those clinics and so forth. I know a lot of people keep up with that. I've never lost it or I've never, um, I've never, you know, really paid attention to that money, but Uh I think the people tell me, this is what people tell me. Like when I do a clinic, yeah. and I'm, I'm, only, I'm only 53, but when I do a clinic, I, I'm one of the only guys that, that'll ride their horse because it's yeah. pretty, pretty dangerous getting on somebody else's horse. And a lot <laughs> yeah. of people have been hurt by it, you know, yeah. and they've got yeah. a different feel to them. And, but, uh, you know, if they've got a problem, I'll get on and I end up riding out of, you know, we have 23 now clinics, I'll end up riding, you know, most of them. Yeah, um, but but you know that just helps me. You know, and I I tell people all the time, I'm not I'm not training on the horse. I'm training on me. And the yeah. better I get, the better horse gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that works. But you know, it's, well, you know, um, Chris, I've been I've been doing this same thing as you know in 41 different countries, and I. Uh, Mine all started in 1989, so I'm only 30 uh, years or so. How long did you say you you've been doing it? 31 years. It could be. Oh, I, yeah, I came so, over here. In, I came over here in '86, yeah. and I, I did my first clinic um, a year or two after that. And, yeah. Uh, and then I, I contracted with the BLM. I went around. Uh, doing demonstrations, starting Mustangs when they were adopting them out. So I did a contract. I remember, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I did a contract with them for, for a few years. And then, and then, uh, I did a, did a clinic in Tennessee, one of the first ones, uh, in 1980, I want to say 88, something like yeah. that. And it was in Perry, Florida, uh-huh. kind of a redneck area, but, um, <laughs> and then just kind of went from there. But, well, uh, I, I was it, fortunate enough to, to be beside a guy that did some did some clinics in Australia, 
guy named Ken May, and and yep. uh, around him helped him a little bit. Some so I had a little yeah. bit of an idea. Well, Chris, I've known you for a long time, and um, and yet not well, and we haven't spent a lot of time together, but isn't it amazing that I never realized I did my first public clinics in 1988, mm-hmm. so exactly the same year, and it was because of those that the Queen called me, and I visited with her in 89, and and did several there, and then she put me on the road. So our our careers are almost identical in in length. I never realized that before. But I'll, I'll well, tell you, you something. You, you've had a lot more experience growing up. I've I've kind of followed you. You've had a lot more experience. You did a lot of horse showing and and uh, yeah, a lot of events. I remember reading about you in the Western Horseman many years ago. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, about your deer, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I'm I'm having a lot of time with my deer right now, uh, Chris, and I'm I'm loving every minute of it. I I just got reacquainted with the whole family of deer, and and uh, I, I swear to God that um, some of these old does are looking at me saying, "What the heck took you so long to come back around and visit with us and spend some time with us?" So I I've always respected. Uh, Anybody like yourself that that has been successful and that, that betters the horse, it doesn't matter if it's different. It doesn't matter how you, as long as the end result is what we're looking for, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, well, I I I certainly appreciate that attitude, and you know very well that it it isn't shared by a lot of people in the horse industry, and they they do feel that they can climb over you and put you down so that they look higher. But, you know, I often say my way is the only way for me today. But if you show me a better way, that'll be my way tomorrow. So I keep watching people like you. And uh, mm-hmm. do I do things exactly as I did in 1989? My word, Chris, when I go back and look at my videos, man, I've improved. <laughs> and, uh, it means that I'm doing things differently. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have it then and I don't have it now. And, and you and others younger than both of us will climb up and figure out the good ones will rise to the top and figure out ways. I just got off with Ron Rawls. I took him on at 29 years of age and he had a candle up between his shoulder blades and was as country as anybody could ever be and winds up winning the world's greatest uh, twice and, and the world's largest purse and has won just about a million dollars in uh, in prize money from, from horse shows, which is just unheard of. And um, I, I, just, uh, I just feel that the horses will teach us if we listen. And I'm sitting here looking at a picture of Johnny Tivio. And... He was the greatest horse that ever looked through the bridle, in my opinion, um, when he was doing it, when he was looking through the bridle. He's buried now. And I swear to you, I marked a 77 and I think 178 on him. And Chris, everybody that has come along with talent has learned from you 
and from me and from others, and they have improved to the extent that my 77, I think two of those and 178, they would be 72s and 73s today. And Johnny Tivio would be fifth or sixth in a very big contest today where he was a standalone winner back in 1965 and 64 and 63. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, the football players get better. uh, The basketball players get better. And it's people like you and I hope me that can cause this thing to be better for horses globally uh, when we get along with one another and we learn from one another. Well, you know, I tell you, we're all in this together and and, uh, we have to act like it. Um, You know, I I tell people all the time in my clinics, if I don't change something up from year to year, you need to go see somebody else because I'm not getting any better. (laughs) That's that's right. You know, I might, might have been doing clinics for 31 years, but I wasn't ready back then to do clinics, but you know, I jumped into it and, and, and I was talented, but now, uh, I've become a much better teacher and, uh, that takes a while. Yeah. You know, doing something is one thing, Monty, you know that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of great hands we grew up with could do it, but they couldn't explain it. Right. And, and, uh, and back, back when I grew up, it wasn't any, videos uh necessarily you could watch or tv or anything like that or internet or youtube yeah um yeah you had to go spend time with somebody if they were if they if they were um good enough to um and kind enough to show you some stuff man that was great but most everybody kept that stuff to themselves Mm -hmm. yeah that's so true so true generations for generations I'm sure you've heard of the brothers Dorrance. Oh yeah, Tom, Tom yeah. and Bill I knew, Dorrance. I knew Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was raised with them. I was a kid when they were in their prime, you know. Mm-hmm. And I swear to you, Chris, neither one of them could score over a sixty-eight. And and I remember. Bill Dorn's getting run away with and crashing through the panels at Salinas, uh, pulling with both hands on, on the reins. They were not talented riders, but they could explain it. They could really teach it. And both of them backed down, stepped out of the saddle and started to work out in their heads what they ought to say to people. And they, they started a whole new generation of, of people who took horsemanship seriously and, as an art form. And uh, then we, we came up with uh, the next generation that moved on from there. But, you know, um, a lot of them in that generation were still roping horses by the heels and dragging them across the pen to put the first saddle on. And... And they were saying, do it. And there's still, some of them still done it today. (laughs) That's right. But, um, things change and, and we ought to recognize and revere change instead of criticize change. And, uh, I, I just, uh, this call is for me to say to you, congratulations, because we've come through a lot together 
without being together. And uh, I think both of us have, have learned to get along with one another and to watch and and I'll take little bits from you. And if you see anything I can do for you, just let me know. Because, sure, we're in competition. But, you know, we can we can give a guy a hand and get him up after we knock him down and and still be friends. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't look at it as competition money at all. I, I think that, um, you know, when I go to, when I've been to Europe and Europeans come here, they say, you're the money Roberts over here, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I'm interviewed by Europe. They always, they're, they always, uh, uh, put myself with you and explain. I said, well, that's an honor because I know him and, and uh, he's a great hand and he's done a lot of great things. And, uh, so, uh, I know you spent a lot of time over there and have done a lot of good things over there. And, and, uh, so you, you're very well recognized. You went to Ireland, didn't you? I did went to Ireland, went to England. I've been to Poland, you know, I've been to a few of those countries over there. I, I, uh, one of the fortunate things that I've got is I got a family and, it costs me more money to go over there than it does and stay here. And I've got enough business here and, yeah. and, um, you know, it, it works out better if I don't travel as much. We were actually going to do a 2020 tour across the world and something come up and we changed it. And my wife and I look at each other and say, man, that was a oh. blessing. Oh boy. <laughs> Can you imagine us out there, oh. out there in some country right now? Oh lockdown? boy. Yeah. It'd be worse. Yeah. Be as bad as being on a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, I barely got back from Melbourne, uh, Australia, uh, before they locked that down. I'd I'd be down there, I guess, all summer. That's what Debbie said. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they need help down there in that racing industry. I tell you, but um, you know, I'm just having fun uh, doing my thing, and and at 84. If you don't start having fun with it, you're crazy because uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of future in it now. But I'm I'm really really enjoying it and and looking back on things that um, could have been different, uh, in my opinion, if if people would have seen it the way you and I have seen it, which is to grow together and and not to knock on one another. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't help horses and it doesn't help people either. You know the thing about it is money is we've got to recognize styles, styles whether it's clothing or styles, and and your your horsemanship. There are different styles. Just because somebody has a different style than you doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. And and so I've always tried to be that way and and be open minded about different things. There's some things that people do I don't agree with, you know. Sure. But um, but I try to keep that to myself. The, the public is a, you know, we have a pretty intelligent public. It works itself out. Yeah. At the end. You know, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but um, a guy named Homer Mitchell brought me a horse one time called Fiddle Dior by Braz Dior, and uh, he he was not a a big horse. He was not a champion long lasting, but I met a guy called Ray Thomas and he was riding a horse called Bearcat in the cutting. And he said, you know, you guys are wrong. What you're turning horses around in this Western rain cow horse thing. 
you're asking them all to jump up in the air and spin around with their front feet off the ground. And he said, you know, when you're working a cow, if they don't have all four feet on the ground, the cow is going to beat them. And you guys are wrong with the way you're turning horses around. So he showed me how to school uh, fiddle the oar uh, to drill and keep his front feet on the ground. And this horse could some kind of turn around, you know. And I, I went off to Oakdale or somewhere and showed him for the first time in the Hackamore. And I should have won it by a mile. But Dick Deller was judging it, and I was third out of 22 or something. And he came to me when I was throwing my saddle in the trunk of the car, and he said, you know, Monty, I actually, you should have won this thing, but the way that horse turns around, he said, it's weird. It's weird. And I, I've never seen a horse turn around like that before. So, you know, I just had to take you down. I, I've been thinking about it. And we have a meeting next week. And uh, my wife took some videos, or I, I guess at that time it was a, a film, you know. And uh, I want to show them there and talk about this. Do you know that that horse was never beaten again? And everything changed right then so that the Western horses in the Working Cow Horse Division became drilling horses with the front end down on the ground. And uh, mm -hmm. that was the first horse stepping, to ever do it. instead of jumping. And yeah, and it, and it looked weird, you know, so, the, so it cost him points instead of making him points. But he won two world championships back to back in the Hackamore. And uh, wow. it, it's one of those things that, you could call a fulcrum or, you know, um, that, that point at which the whole world changed for the Western division. Now, nobody knows that I was the first one to do that. And it doesn't matter to me that they don't know, but the world over, if you go to Italy and watch Western horses, they'll turn around this way instead of the other way. Yep. Yep. So tell me, Monty, um, uh, did you know Monty Foreman? Oh, I did. Yeah. I met him several times and I was in Denver when, when he had a big wreck, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was just, I was just kind of intrigued about him. Uh, um, you know, I never got to meet him, but over the years he, he was kind of ahead of his time a little bit with his videoing and his, yeah. his horses stopping. They were stopping differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And of course they'd get off on my calf horses, you know? Yeah. And, um, and they stopped a little bit in old level and he was, he was, uh, an eccentric kind of a fellow, wasn't he? He was indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't mind being the first one to do something, even if it was dangerous, you know, he really would. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I saw him have a terrible wreck in Denver, um, w with a horse and, and all of our horses stop so much different than, than they do now. And my God, uh, you, you never would have dreamed that a horse could stop. Like you see these horses stop today, one after another, after another, they could have done it the whole time, but we didn't know how to do that. Leave their heads alone and, and run them to a wall and, 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 and sit down and not be pulling on them and not get long shanks and chains under their chin and stuff and pull their head up in the air. And Monty Foreman was one of those fulcrum people. He, he reached out and went for the new thing. And whether you liked it or not, he was changing us. He was changing all of us. And, uh, mm -hmm. Don Dodge was changing us. And, uh, I mean, I could go on and on, uh, 
because uh, Matlock Rose was changing us. And, mm-hmm. and I happened to be that little kid looking through the bottom rung of the fence, uh, wanting to be the best in the world and, uh, trying to put everybody's ideas together. And when I look back on it, the, the, the people that were, were terrible still taught me things, uh, a little bit here and a little bit there, uh, that, that caused me to cause the horses to want to do it. And you and I both know that if you're, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate just what you said, because everybody needs to hear that. Yeah. Because that's one of the most important lessons that I've, I've come. I've had people that teach me something that I knew wasn't great horsemen. Mm-hmm. I've had people that teach me something that did think some things wrong, but there was something there that I picked up that made a huge difference, whether yeah. it was right or whether it was wrong. And, yeah. And if you keep your eyes open and your ears um, signal to, to the message, there are so many things that you can learn from watching somebody. And, yeah. And, and it could just be a little bit that will change, change a lot of things about what you do. And and uh, I learn a lot of stuff what I shouldn't do more than what I should do sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's our, it's our mistakes that teach us everything we know. Uh, that's right. You know, if you, if you just open your eyes and, and, and look at it, we need to watch our horses. They can teach us so much. And uh, my word, sometimes I come up with something and I say, what in the world took me so long to learn this? It's such a simple thing, but we need to think simple and not complicate things with our horses and cause them to want to do it. Um, that's when you get your good scores. Yep. Yep. The simpler it is, the more relaxed they are, the more understanding. Yeah. I, and I really, it's, went, a, it's a lot of simple things put together that looks complicated. Yeah. I, I just went through a thing going through Australia where they have all of these now, these uh, closed-in racetracks. There, everybody trains on the same track, and they go in the same gate and out the same gate, and train through the same starting gate, stalls, starting stalls, barriers, as you call them in Australia. And uh, suddenly, you know, about 15 years ago, it dawned on me that everybody that builds a training operation puts the starting gate close to the stable where they can just walk out and train a horse through the starting gate and and then they go on to the track. And I had it that way here. And all of a sudden one day I had I had a wonderful man here oh, with me. Run off. And and you know, it suddenly dawned on me, Chris, that every time you take a horse to that starting stall that's right close to the barn his tail's pointed to his house when his head is pointed out to the racetrack. And every kid that's ridden a horse through the mountains at night knows when it gets dark and you don't know where home is, you put your hands down, the horse will take you home. So I switched my gate around, took it down to the far end of my racetrack, and they all go around that gate and come back home now, and it's unbelievable the difference it has made and how simple is that, you know? And still... So- 99% so that, that, of the that's, gate. That's a, yeah, that's a great analogy. And every, every event on that, every event that I'm at that sets up a ramp in, I'll tell them, put the gate to the opposite end of the gate. Yeah. 
that you enter. Yeah. yeah. Always put the gate to the opposite end. So, so when they walk them in, when they go to round pin, the gate's facing the other way. It's not facing towards the gate. That's yeah. That's so important. Just what you said. I'm sure on the racetrack, it would be the same thing. Well, those that's horses that point. do that, they can't be giving you their best when they're looking over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, and uh, my word, my horses are doing better now. Uh, I got a filly here right now, uh, Chris. That they paid a million dollars for and she's bred royally and they couldn't get her in the gate. And when the gates came open, she wouldn't go out. She'd rear over backwards. She put three people in the hospital and, uh, just little changes. And now she's just training beautifully and she's five years old and they never could get her right. Um, after paying a million dollars for her. So, and it's simple. It's simple. I didn't, I'm no genius. Uh, but the closer you get to your horses and your deer, the more you learn. And I'm, I'm having so much fun just uh, learning behavior. Uh, it's like a university for me. You know, um, I've gotten to where I, I, try to, I try to teach people how horses think rather than teach them techniques. Yeah. And you've got to know how they think first before you can ever ask them to do anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. techniques should follow people. Very yeah. few people know how horses think. Yeah, every technique we use should have a good solid reason in how horses approach that particular problem, and and then you'll get it right. Um, I, making a horse do anything is a mistake. Thank you so much for joining us on Horseman Radio, both Chris Cox and Monty Roberts. It's fun to hear to such learned men about horses and such long experience uh, in the industry uh, talk and share. And I hope that this happens more often between some of the top, top trainers on earth uh, because there is so much to do across disciplines that as such a foundation that we need to work on. So thanks for being on. Whisper the language of the herd. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than The magic in Hi, this is Debbie standing in for my dad, Monty, who's standing in for Jamie, who usually reads the trainer's tip, but I'm going to do it today. And I think this is a fascinating Q&A. So here we are. My pony will move his head in a full clockwise circle over and over again. He'll do it if he's at the gate and ready to leave the arena, if I allow him to. Last week, We put him out in the field alone. He is boarded at a barn, and I'm not allowed to take any of the other horses out with him. I'm guessing that he does this when he's stressed or bored because he's fine when I work with him and fine when the barn owners put other horses out with him. My question is this. Should I try to stop it or just accept it as a part of his personality? Monty's answer. If this is something he fails to exhibit when riding or handling him, then let's consider it his property and accept the fact that all individuals are just that. Every human has some trait that we can label a fingerprint. It's theirs and probably should remain theirs without interference if it hurts no other individual. 
For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Hi, Debbie. I just had to write and tell you how much I'm enjoying Monty's podcast on Horsemanship Radio. You and Monty and your podcast guests are my company every evening while I'm feeding, cleaning, and finishing up barn chores for the day. I especially enjoyed the recent podcast 158 because so many of the guys that Monty talked about, and especially Greg Ward, were heroes of mine when I was growing up. It was really fun to be a fly on the wall listening to Monty recount all those stories. And I also enjoyed his discussion with Tanya Johnston about the deer and sigmotaxis. Thanks for all the great information you and your dad are spreading throughout the world. And thanks for making the time doing my barn chores. No chore at all. All the best, Nan Meek. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. We are going to have... May 18 through 22, the advanced exams with Denise Heinlein and Monty. Then June 21 through 23 is the movement with Monty Roberts, Temple Grandin, Rick Lamb, and other outstanding speakers and trainers. Then on June 29 through July 3, we have the Monty special training with the Brazilians. And then July 24 through 26, we have a horse and some healing. August 3 through 7, Monty special training. And August 17 through 28, gentling those wild horses. Gentling wild horses course. And September 11 through 13, long-term planning. We have another horse and some healing on that weekend. And we also have a CHA, uh, Equine Facility Management, an EFM certification at Flag is Up Farms. And if you didn't put all of that to memory... No worries. You can go to MontyRoberts.com and find his calendar there along with lots of other information. Or you can call Flag Is Up Farms at 805-688-6288. And if you want details about today's episode, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you're going to find links to today's guests and topics, photos, and more information. And we love your feedback. We want you to follow Monty Roberts on social media. On Facebook, it's Monty Roberts. Look for the one with the little blue check mark. And his handle on Instagram as well as Twitter is Monty underscore Roberts. What's an underscore? It's the little dash that's at the bottom. There you go. <laughs> go to your app store and get yes. the Horse Radio Network app. It's that's where you find and an easy way to listen to this show and all of the others. It's free and easy to use. Just go to your app store on your Android or your iPhone and search Horse Radio Network. Very good. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. We're having so much fun on the university. There are lots of new visitors. We've got online going, blowing up. And uh, and this is coming out right after Monty's birthday, too. So we, we're really excited about everybody that has joined with us to create a movement away from the rougher parts of horse handling and into the more effective and efficient ways of horse training. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs>